This is the EPLOG audio experience. Film is clearly a sophisticated art, possibly the most important art of the 20th century with a rather complex history of theory and practice, writes James Monaco in his book How to Read a Film. So far in our podcast, The Artists, we have had filmmakers, writers, critics, programmers from some of the top film festivals, musicians, thinkers, defining their combinatorial skills. We at Metaphysical Lab have been striving to expand the realm of our podcast, which in turn gives a wider uh, canvas to the understanding of our experiences. And also we have tied up with Epilog Media, the podcasting network. So you can find us on their website, epilogmedia slash the artist. And of course, you can continue to listen to us on the platforms that you choose from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to GeoSavan to Google Podcast. Everything is mentioned in the description. And of course, you can reach us uh, on the WhatsApp number and our email ID. I'm your host, Suchita, and I'm looking forward to wonderful journey ahead with all of you. What is philosophy in today's times? Integrating philosophy with art when philosophy itself has a very strong artistic dimension. Definition of aesthetics. How do we view beauty and can that definition be universal or does that strongly differ from culture to culture, from places to places, from experience to experiences of people? How did the greatest philosophers define and look at beauty? For example, the great Plato, Aristotle, Kant, Nietzsche, all this and much more on the 50th episode of our podcast, The Artist. And we have with us the brilliant Theophanes Tassis. Theophanes Tassis is teaching contemporary practical philosophy at the Alfred Adria University. He's a visiting professor at the University of St. Gallen and the University of Athens. His area of specialization includes political and moral philosophy, new media philosophy, phenomenology, existentialism, critical theory. His monograph, Castoriadis, A Philosophy of Autonomy, was published in Greece by Eurasia, publication that won the Kaftan Zoglio Prize of the University of Athens in 2008, and his latest which I am looking forward to reading is Digital Humanism, the iconistic subject in artificial intelligence published by Amos Publication explores the notion of a digital humanism as an alternative to the challenges presented by transhumanism and artificial intelligence. You can find Theophanes on his Facebook handle, on his LinkedIn handle and on his Twitter handle. Guys, please help me in welcoming Theophanes Dasses. Hi Theophanes, welcome to our podcast, The Artist, and thank you for joining us from Greece. Um, how is it going there? Hello, Suchidita. Thank you for having me. It's very nice in Greece right now, although we have a recent small uptick in the coronavirus cases, but it's mm-hmm. summer, it's the Mediterranean, and we try to enjoy it as much as we can under these particular circumstances. Awesome, awesome. So tell me, Theophanes, uh, uh, since you are so deep into philosophy, how would you define the word philosophy for today's times? Um, well, there is no objective 
the objective definition of philosophy, but concerning mm. me, I would say that philosophy is a quest of exploring meaning and giving meaning in life. So philosophy is a way of living, a reflective way of living towards uh, more autonomy. Because yesterday as we were talking and you said philosophy was always a way of life. That's the way it was uh, unfolded in ancient Greece. So is it something that we must imbibe and use it every day in our living and not just when it comes to, uh, you know, just your artwork? Well, I think that the question of meaning, the question of how should I live my life is of specific importance at the beginning of the 21st century hmm. because the freedom of choice has expanded radically. Due to digital technologies, we have much more information. One could say we are experiencing an information overload. And as a consequence of that, we have many choices about what do we eat, uh, who, what friends do we have, what activities are we participating. So we have to try to find ways to somehow choose. We need criteriums for choosing. And philosophy can help us choose experiences, choose friends, choose objects, and though in a way to tame our freedom and shape it and set priorities. So in, in this aspect, philosophy would be an important activity for everyone because it could help distinguish the important from the unimportant. And it would also provide valuable help to the question I mentioned earlier on, how should one live his life? And this specific question is, of course, a question that was traditionally uh, addressed by philosophy and religion as well. Mm. But in, mod in modernity and in the 20th century, people are trying to answer this question via consumerism, perhaps, or via lifestyle, or via uh, New Age mysticism, of course, always with religion as well, but mm. not so much with philosophy. Because the philosophers themselves, it seems that at least a lot of them have withdrawn to academia and pr are practicing philosophy as a purely theoretical activity. Sivanas, how would you define philosophy of art? Well, philosophy of art is posing question on what is beauty? Hmm. Is beauty a property? Is beauty a state of mind of a person, of the observer? Mm. What's the ontological status of beauty? What kind of objects or events are beautiful? And for what reasons are they beautiful? Mm. And is there such thing as objective beauty or is beauty always subjective? Those are some questions of, of aesthetics, of philosophy of beauty. This is always something that I have questioned when it comes to the beauty uh, of art, when it comes uh, to the aesthetics of arts. Uh, the, the philosophy of arts, everybody is going to have a different definition of the beauty of an art or an aesthetic of an art. So how would you condense, uh, if we can possibly condense or define aesthetics? Well, I would say that beauty is a state of mind, a state of mind of the observer, which is created by the interaction of the observer and the object. But mm. 
in a social setting, in a setting which has already social signification and meanings. And if you perceive art this way, then you can understand why we experience different things as beautiful, because the relation between the observer and the object is always unique, although the setting, the social significations can be the same. For example, uh, it's very different what in ancient Greece, there's a difference between what was considered beautiful in ancient Greece and what is considered beautiful in the Middle Ages. Or there's a difference between what is considered beautiful in India in the 13th century mm. and what is considered beautiful in the Renaissance in Western Europe. Mm. So it's the relation between the object, the subject, and the social significations in which this uh, relation is being played out. But of course, in in answering that way, I'm in a way avoiding, and philosophers usually do that in a sense, mm. to answer what is beauty. So to give a definition of beauty. Mm. And uh, I, I, I can't give a definition and I don't want to give a definition uh, of beauty. Rather than use a kind of a metaphor, I would say that we could perhaps understand beauty as the attraction towards the unknown, or at least the glimpse, the glimpse of the unknown as we perceive it in the object we are relating to. Mm. And do you think that the definition or the understanding or the attraction towards the unknown has sort of... Uh, uh, evolved or slash, uh, you know, it, it varies uh, from time to time, from culture to culture, from person to person? Yes, of course it does. But the interesting thing is that in the pre-modern times, the cultures were in a way not so much communicating as they are now. So the appreciation of beauty was much more focused in the specific cultural context. Right now, we are mm. in a much better position to understand perceptions of beauty from other cultures, but also from other times. And this, in turn, contributes, enriches our own understanding of beauty at a subjective level and at a social level as well. And, uh, you know, if you can, if you can sort of uh, go uh, to some philosophers, uh, uh, like, for example, Socrates, or if we can talk about Plato, how did he view aesthetics during his time? Well, uh, in, in the case of Plato, it's the complete opposite of everything we said so far, because yeah. for Plato, beauty is something that is objective. Mm. Uh, that's the first uh, characteristic. And the second mm. characteristic is that the beautiful is always good, and that the good is beautiful. So something that is bad cannot be beautiful, and something that is ugly cannot be good. So those are the two basic foundation in Platonic uh, aesthetics, which are very different from the premises in, uh, in modern aesthetics. And mm -hmm. one might ask what led Plato to this perception of beauty. So why is beauty objective? Well, beauty is objective for Plato because he has a, he perceives the world in a dichotomy. He thinks that we have on the one side appearances, the phenomena, 
And on mm -hmm. the other side, we have substances. We have the real reality. So although we are perceiving the appearances, the phenomena, and we might say, I find this beautiful and you find it ugly, if we could have access to the deeper reality of things mm -hmm. behind the appearances, then we would all agree that this is in fact beautiful because the reality behind the appearances is objective. There is an objective truth because the world is objective and true because the world is based on mathematics. Truth is mathematics, mathematics are objective, truth is objective, Truth cannot be but beautiful, since truth is the same thing with beauty, that truth is beautiful, beauty is always true. And in this sense, uh, we can understand why for Plato, true beauty is something objective. And the second thing I mentioned is this connection between the aesthetics and the ethics, which we've lost in, in modernity, mm -hmm. is that uh, if you strive for beauty, if you really love beauty, mm -hmm. then you are striving to be better, to become a better person. Mm -hmm. You are beautiful when you are a better person. Mm -hmm. And if you are a good person, then you are beautiful, then you, you radiate beauty. And in my opinion, this is something, uh, this connection between aesthetics and ethics, between yeah. the beauty and the good and the bad, the wrong and the right, is something we should work again, we should try to elucidate this connection again in the 21st century. I think it's of particular importance yes, to I return to this conception and work again on it. Yes, I think, I think Theophanes, that's a beautiful point, aesthetics and ethics. Do you think the Plato's views were different from Aristotle's point of views when it came to aesthetics? Well, there is uh, one, uh, one difference regarding um, tragedy because the, the paradox with Plato is that he, although he had an aesthetics, he seemed not to approve art of his time. He was very critical towards the great um, tragics, the Aeschylus, Sophocles, um, and Euripides. Yeah. And he was very critical towards tragedy in general. That's mm -hmm. not the case with Aristotle. Aristotle uh, was in favor of tragedy. In fact, he wrote a book on tragedy, mm -hmm. tried to define what is tragedy, and was used also examples from tragic plays in his philosophical text. So Aristotle's uh, conception of, um, of beauty is in this sense different because he offers us also a definition of tragedy, which is positive. Mm -hmm. In Plato, art in general, also tragedy, is something negative because art is trying to reflect, to describe the appearances, the phenomena, and not the deeper reality. And in this sense, art is the shadow of a shadow. So the, the importance of art is negligible. It's, it's the ontological weight is really, really um, low. Mm -hmm. Aristotle, on the other side, believes that uh, tragedy has a moral and political function which is positive. 
through witnessing the hubris, someone committing the hubris, someone crossing the invisible borders of uh, morality, someone doing something he was not allowed to do, although those borders were not well defined in advance, through witnessing that as a spectator and witnessing the nemesis, the punishment of the person who did so, and by suffering while observing this, we can in fact become better persons and better citizens via catharsis, this concept of suffering along and then becoming better through the suffering of becoming witness of, of the Hebrews. So in Aristotle, uh, tragedy has a much more positive ethical and political, and art in general, a much more positive political and ethical role to play in comparison with Plato. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so tell me, Theophanes, when it comes to, for example, so these are the Greek philosophers, but when we talk about German philosophers, uh, was their idea of aesthetics different? Like, for example, Nietzsche, I mean, how did he view uh, aesthetics? Well, in Nietzsche, we have, for the first time, this merging, this aesthetization of, the, of life, this aesthetization of everyday life. I mean, we have it in ancient Greece, of course, because philosophy was a way of life, and in this sense, the philosopher was preoccupied with the concept of beauty. They are trying to transform their everyday lives. They're trying to transform their lives into something which is more autonomous and more beautiful. But it was not an explicit goal in the sense that Nietzsche states it. Nietzsche says you have to become what you are mm. and you have to lead a beautiful life. You mm. have to transform yourself. You have to become something more than you are. You have to become a, a superhuman. Mm. And in this sense, life has to be beautiful. And in Nietzsche as well, beauty is a moral value. But in the sense that beauty trumps other moral values, if something is beautiful, it, it, it doesn't, it's not important if it's bad. And in Nietzsche, we can trace this notion, which is very popular in art of the 20th century, for example, that the bad guys are presented in a very attractive and in a very cool way. Mm -hmm. And from Nietzsche, via the romanticism, in which, for example, someone can be a warrior and kill people and perceived as someone who is beautiful. So there is an inherent value in the action, which is an aesthetic value. The aesthetic value becomes more important than ethical values, or becomes itself an ethical value in a sense. And this starts with, with Nietzsche, that you have to create a beautiful life and that beauty is really important. Absolutely. And what about Kant? How did sort of he tilt towards the aesthetics? Well, in, the, in Kant, the issue is that, first of all, Kant is not trying to define, uh, to define beauty. Mm -hmm. So for Kant, beauty is a state of the observer. It's not a specific quality. And beauty is not something which is um, positive per se or something that creates uh, feelings of harmony or pleasure in the spectator. 
the beautiful can also be something that is dreadful, that creates anxiety or even fear. It can be unheimlich, the unfamiliar. And mm. for Kant, this is the, the origin of beauty, something that uh, escapes us, something that can create terror as well, something that can leave us speechless. And this, uh, this state of um, being confronted with something that is overwhelming is, uh, lies in the center of Kant's notion of beauty. So in Kant, you have beauty emerging from the interaction of an object with a person, and it's being defined by the person's mental state. And the feelings it creates, the new mental state creates, it has not, um, it's not necessarily something with pleasure. It can be also something that's related with dread or even fear. Mm, lovely. Uh, what are the philosophers that have influenced you, uh, Theophanes? Well, uh, Aristotle. So I, mm. I, I'm working in political philosophy and ethical philosophy, so Aristotle, uh, of course, um, influenced me a lot, especially mm -hmm. regarding his concept of phronesis. Phronesis means that if we have to choose something, there is no predefined set of axioms or criteria which can help us to choose something. Mm -hmm. We have to choose something and we have to, we have to act by judging the specifics of the situation. And we are judging the specifics of the situation using a combination of uh, rash rationality, imagination, Mm. and feelings. And this is phronesis. This combination of the three elements is phronesis. And this is opposed to, for example, modern philosophy and Kant, where you have rationality as the fundament of, uh, of action. Action is always rational. So mm. I was influenced from Aristotle in political philosophy and in ethics, and the concept of phronesis is for me very important. And mm -hmm. from the modern philosophers, Hannah Arendt was uh, a really important influence. Cornelius Castoriadis uh, yeah. was also an important uh, influence. Mm -hmm. And also modern philosophers of media like uh, Wilhelm Flusser or uh, Friedrich Kittler. Mm -hmm. So tell me, tell me, Theophanes, how has philosophy transformed or added value to your life? What, how would your life be different if you didn't have philosophy? Well, I think that uh, philosophy has uh, helped me personally reflect on my life, my mm -hmm. choices, contributed to become a little bit more autonomous and allow me to understand the contradictions, the paradoxes in my biography and in my values and in my choices and also offered me ways of trying to reconcile them or at least moderate the tension uh, they created. I think that philosophy has also a function of, how should I put it, not only emancipate us, but at the same time soothe us 
mm-hmm. and give us uh, peace. So, so when it comes to an artist, for example, uh, you know, uh, a writer, an author like uh, Dostoevsky or Sartre, integrating uh, philosophy into your work, how can an artist sort of pursue that? Where can you begin from? Um, there are different ways of doing so. For mm. example, there were artists like uh, Hermann Broch comes to my mind, mm. which had extended, used philosophy in extended passages in the work. They read philosophy very much, and then they included small essays in their uh, fiction. So a way to do it is use explicitly philosophy in your work as a writer, for example. Mm -hmm. Another way to do it is um, try to create a work of art, a painting or a work of fiction based on a specific aesthetic theory, which Mm -hmm. will define you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or another way would be if you follow Nietzsche, Mm. to create a work of art based on your own life or transform your life into a work of art. And this is a trend in late 20th century where the boundaries between art and everyday life are are becoming less and less and less um, strong. You can see artists engaging their audience, making the, the experience the artwork making their or exhibiting their own life mm-hmm. and other contemporary artists like uh, Miranda July are using their own life transforming their own life into an artwork for example uh, like a filmmaker like uh, like an author like a painter like a photographer um, would you suggest like this is how to sort of work on the philosophical side of you? What are the daily sort of tasks that one can do to integrate themselves and their artwork uh, with philosophy? Mm, I'm not sure that there uh, could be an answer to that which would be useful or could even be implemented by an artist because every Mm -hmm. artist is so unique and the questions uh, which preoccupy him and the interests he has are so different that it is really difficult to say, to try to sketch out an approach which would be useful. I think that philosophy has also a very strong artistic dimension itself, you see. Mm-hmm. I think that philosophy is, of course, not science, although it has similarities with, with science since mm-hmm. it uses reason. Mm-hmm. But it has also very strong similarities with art as well, since imagination is very important mm-hmm. and since beauty is also a very important concept in philosophy. Mm-hmm. So if uh, philosophy has this artistic dimension itself, then it's very difficult to define a set of rules of engagement with philosophy in order to produce art. I would mm-hmm. say that you encounter philosophical works and philosophers in the same way you encounter musicians, photographers, or writers, if you are a photographer, musician, or a writer. Mm-hmm. You cannot say why Kafka, for example, is such a strong influence or why you feel so strongly attack- attracted 
to watch Colm and Hawkins or uh, Rothko or Miro. It's just the case, the same case with philosophers. If you start reading philosophy, they are going to be philosophers in which you feel a familiarity. Mm. And mm. those are the philosophers with uh, with whom you will develop a connection, and then you will include uh, elements of their thought in your work, either in an explicit way, uh, either in an implicit way. Mm-hmm. So, 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 how does one become philosopher, Theophanes? I mean, how do you become a philosopher? Is it like your daily observations of life, writing it down, putting it across, uh, thinking deeply about it? It's much more trivial. I mm. think you become a philosopher the same way you become an artist or an athlete or any other job. I mean, you started, uh, you start reading philosophy, you start posing questions, and in my case, trying to somehow translate your readings in your everyday life and try to find out how this relates to your own experience. It's important for me to demystify the, the, the notion of philosopher. Of, of the philosopher, he's not a sage. It's just a person who thinks professionally on important questions like what is wrong and what is good and what is beauty and what is death and how should we live our life and what is a just society. So, among other questions. So, the person who has the the luxury to 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 work on these questions and to ar- make arguments on those questions and try to define in a more a rich way, the the basic concept. That person is is a philosopher, and he can also uh, make perfectly stupid things in everyday life. And we have the example of great philosophers like Martin Heidegger, who was a Nazi. Mm-hmm. So, uh, philosopher is really professional, a person like like everyone else, with no claim to truth, and who also cannot claim to be. A moral authority whatsoever. Tell me, Theophanes, a bit uh, about the book that you are working on uh, that you were talking about. Well, my last book is titled uh, "Digital Humanism," and the question I'm trying to, I'm working, I'm struggling with in this book is that in the 21st century, in which we have networked almost everything and digital technologies are colonizing all almost every aspect of our everyday life and in which we have this dramatic increase of freedom of choice we found ourselves in the situation where algorithms are slowly slowly starting to take over in help by helping us at first glance with choice so you have an algorithm suggesting which netflix movie you should see you have an algorithm mm. suggesting which title uh, spotify music you should hear you have yeah. an algorithm suggesting which would be a good friend for you or a good partner in life and it it seems that this is an easy way to go and that it really helps us but I'm really critical towards this because algorithms and furthermore artificial intelligence might make us less autonomous and perhaps even um, in a sense rob us of our own humanity in the long run and specifically when you have particularly intellectual movements like transhumanism 
who are actually believing that through the emergence of humans and machines and algorithms, we may uh, find ourselves in a society of transhumans who would be happy. Mm. So I'm very, very, very skeptical towards this. I do not mm. believe that by merging with machines, we can achieve beings which will be more fulfilled, more wise, more compassionate, more, more anything that we are right now. Where do you see philosophy heading, Theophanes, um, in the future? Well, that's an interesting question because the question, what is philosophy? How mm. do I practice philosophy? Mm. Where is philosophy heading? It's a fundamental question of philosophy. Mm. And every age, philosophy in every age and philosophers of every age answered this question either explicitly or implicitly through their own philosophical practice. For example, in ancient Greece, philosophy, as mentioned, was a way of life who was practiced with other people, with other philosophers mm. who were living together, eating together, sleeping together. And it had a, it included a set of exercises which were uh, bodily exercises, spiritual exercises, and of course, also intellectual exercises. So mm. you had to, you had to uh, be an athlete, you had to learn how to make an argument, you had to learn how to fast, and you had to learn how to... Um, Meditate. So mm. that was philosophy in ancient uh, Greece. Mm. In modernity, philosophy became a rather intellectual activity. You had to write books, you had to write papers, and you had to teach. Mm. So how is philosophy going to be like in the 22nd century or in the 21st century we are right now or later on the 23rd century? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure about the form. And in a case when I'm doing philosophy, I'm trying to answer this question. Mm. You, the question is, first of all, if the attention span is decreasing, and yeah. I'm seeing that in my students because the attention span of my students right now is much smaller than the attention span of my generation when I was a student. Mm. With that, I'm not saying that my students are not as good as I am. They are much better in, in, in many things that I was not good or my generation was good. But the question is that they are reacting much more to immediate stimulation. They are used to get immediate feedback and they want to be constantly engaged. It's very difficult for them uh, to sit still. They get very easily bored. Yeah. And this, 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 this changes very much. And it becomes more intense and more intense in every generation, in every class that I'm teaching. So the question now is, can we imagine philosophers writing 500 page long books? So who, who is going to have, first of all, the time to write them since the new generation of philosophers is not writing any more books so much as papers, which are like 10 pages long? That's mm. one question. Mm. The second question is, how is philosophy going to use new media or mm. augmented reality? Can mm. we use perhaps video games to do philosophy? Could we do philosophy in augmented reality instead of writing or mm -hmm. teaching? Mm -hmm. We don't have the answers towards that, and the, the task of philosophers today and future philosophers will be to try to answer those questions. Mm -hmm. On the other side, if someone is rather pessimistic, he could say that philosophy is going to be uh, a mosaic enterprise, uh, something like the opera. Mm. But I don't want to be pessimistic. I think that philosophy has an important role to play in the 21st and the 22nd uh, century. It's going to try, it can contribute uh, to protect and enhance our autonomy and our own humanity. Mm -hmm. It can help us 
elucidate the question of what it means to be human. Mm. And 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 and, I, and and what would you what, I mean, what would you sort of you know uh, say in terms of if the future belongs to AI and we have half AI and half humans, what are we and how are you going to imbibe philosophy in them? Oh well, that's the question. Uh, I mean, uh, what is artificial intelligence? What is consciousness? Can uh, can you have consciousness in non-material mm. entities or in non-carbon entities? Those are all very valid philosophical questions. But uh, I actually do not believe that we will experience, mm. definitely not in the immediate future, but uh, perhaps never an AI who is willing to philosophize on, on its own. Because philosophy is also trying to reconcile yourself with your own mortality. You ask questions because you know you are not mm. going to be here forever. And an AI is bodiless and it's immortal. It's an algorithm. There is no contradiction in an algorithm. If an algorithm has a contradiction, it doesn't run. The program is not running. So it, it cannot exist. Mm -hmm. But being a human being means exactly that, being neurotic. We all are, in a sense, neurotic to a more or lesser degree. Yes. And we philosophize. We try to, to pose questions. We are looking for answers. We want to get better. And this incompleteness. Sure. Uh, parting words, Theophanes. Any uh, any recommendations on the philosophers one should like quickly grab or bite off? Uh, well, I would say that you should ask yourself what, what's 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 worrying me. Mm. Is the important thing for me? I'm afraid of death. Is the important thing for me? I want to be in love. Is the important thing for me? I want to be happy. Is the important thing for me, uh, I want a more just society and want to do something about that. Mm -hmm. Is the important thing for me, I want to enjoy life and beauty. So if you have identified the thing that moves you, the question that troubles you, then you can turn to a philosopher who has worked on that question. Mm. So it's really a very personal recommendation. Mm. But ancient Greek philosophy... Uh, you can't go wrong because Western philosophy started with ancient Greek philosophy and everyone who wants to do philosophy has to start with the classical text. So if you take a dialogue, a platonic dialogue or mm. a text by Aristotle or a text by the Stoics, Mark Aurel, for example, I think that would be a good place to start because in those texts that mentioned questions are treated, they are there. Hopefully some of uh, your listeners will pick up a philosophy book or engage <laughs> somehow with uh, philosophy. It would be really great.
enjoyed this conversation um, on philosophy and art and why is philosophy such an important subject that needs to be preserved let us know what you guys think about it you know where to find us on our uh, instagram and twitter handles with metaphysical lab people lock media and you can find me on linkedin i have been watching fritz lang and i'm sure a lot of you guys out there are big fan of fritz lang so go watch uh, fritz lang again uh, and also we have some independent producers coming on the show helping us brush uh, and understand producing stay well uh, take care of yourself and i'm going to see you guys next week